Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. The alternative is putting your eggs in multiple baskets and sort of diversifying your investments. And then you get a wide sampling, a survey of lots of different things, but you never go deep. And your defenses Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Sometimes in life, pretty often actually, reality holds up a mirror and forces us to look at ourselves. This doesn't always come in the form you expect. It's almost never when you expect, and it's generally easy to shrug it off and just keep ignoring whatever reality is trying to remind you about or show you. But if you do keep ignoring life, you will continue to suffer because life doesn't cooperate with being ignored. In this episode, we'll discuss the first two stages of relating to change, beginning with ignoring and how you can start evolving the way you relate to change as it relates to your one thing. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. Okay, so I want to talk about, this is by request. Deborah brought this up a few weeks ago. Thank you, Deborah. Um, a while back, I had something I was calling four stages of relating to change or something. Um, I've changed the names of them, and I, I may again, but the idea is is the same. So this course is about learning learning for change, how to be what you know. And the the as you've probably been gathering, context always is more important than content. So how we relate to change is far more important than what we do to create change. And the invisible way in which we relate to change creates really all of the downstream outcomes. And so I want to talk about what I'm calling the four stages of relating to change. Uh, And they correlate to the five stages of engagement, which I think I talked about last course. I do that this course. No, last course, which was something. I can't remember. <laughs> Managing with inquiry. What was the last course? For 50 points. Accountability. Path 2.0. Oh, yeah, right. Wow, I would not have gotten that. Yeah, so in accountability 2.0, we talked about the five stages. Um, the easiest way to get the treatment of that, um, for any of you who missed that, is podcast 90 through 94. That I remember because I'm always telling people about that. Podcast 90 through 94 cover the five stages. So let's talk about that. The first stage is really easy. I'm calling it ignoring. 
and ignoring the need for change. Well, before I go to this, preamble. Just like five stages of engagement, wherever you are and however you're relating to change is fine. It's perfect. You're exactly where you need to be. So there's an and here. And the and is where you are is perfect. And these four stages are going to describe where you're headed, whether you like it or not. Just like the five stages. So just because you're headed somewhere, whether you like it or not, doesn't mean that where you are is bad. The same way a 14-year-old is not better than a nine-year-old. The cognitive abilities and social skills and awareness of a 14-year-old, et cetera, is where the nine-year-old is headed. But the nine-year-old is being a nine-year-old as they should be. How do we know they should be a nine-year-old? Because they are a nine-year-old. And we would have an expectation that they would develop to be more like the 14-year-old in some ways, right? What's the problem? Yet when, you know, when we are nine, we all want to be 14 and 18 and we can't even conceive of anything past 25, right? Um, so sort of trained into us is this idea of, well, more advanced is better. Where you're headed is better. You want to get to the better place. And if you're not in the better place, then where you are is bad. But what does that do? Trigger shame. See accountability metrics, money, and shame course. Of course, I do remember. Uh, see that for, and then that shame just makes things worse. So that's what we want to avoid here is the shame stuff. Now, I do have some sort of um, vaguely pejorative terms in this in these stages to sort of goad you on, but um, uh, that's not accidental. Your job is to hold the end and to see that where you are is perfect. And there's a ways to go. Okay, we clear on this? All right, so now the first sort of semi-pejorative word, ignoring. Now, ignorance is considered, there's a connotation to the word ignorance that it's a bad thing. But the true meaning of ignorance, the way I learned it, is you just don't know any better. Ignorance is innocence. You just don't know any better. I was taught, my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Torres, I remember, he said, ignorance is not knowing any better. Stupid is when you do know better. That's the difference between ignorance and stupidity. Wow, it's probably the only thing I remember was in fifth grade. That was a good distinction. So ignorance is innocent. But then the moment you know better, well, now you have a problem because now you have an embodiment gap. You know something, but you're not embodying it. And there's a gap. Well, what are you going to do now? Well, that's up to you. So the first two stages of the five stages of engagement are crisis and survival. and you can really put them into one category. Uh, in fact, I was thinking about this yesterday and thought about collapsing them into it because crisis really is an acute state. Nobody lives in crisis for you know, 10 years straight. There's going to be even you know, 10 days straight, there's going to be some breathing room in there somewhere. But I'll probably leave it as uh, broken out because it still works for a moment of crisis, a day of crisis, a week of crisis. But for the purposes of relating to change, crisis and survival are one because they both produce a state of denial. You'll remember that crisis and survival modes are based in victimhood. There's an orientation that whatever is happening, it's all happening to you. And there's a powerlessness in that. So because the situation is happening to you and you're powerless, of course, it's not going to occur to you to change. 
right? That wouldn't make any sense. So it's the exactly that uh, non-need to change that keeps someone in crisis and survival. You see, it doesn't occur. It's all happening to me. There's no, hmm, what's my contribution to this kind of stuff. Therefore, there's no impetus to change. That, of course, is the snake eating its own tail. That's why the first two stages are where the vast majority of human beings on this planet are. They're a victim of circumstance. Their culture, their upbringing, their bank account number, their boss, the police, whatever. Now, that's not to say that these people aren't dealing with challenges. They certainly are. But if it's something they can't control, then um, uh, it's something they think they can't control. Uh, then they're going to stay stuck there. Right? One second, I need to close the door. Yard workers came earlier than expected. Now, that's a tricky thing in my position because on Hawaii, in Hawaii, when people come earlier than expected, that's something you want to celebrate in one way, better than way late or not at all. And we'll have to deal with it. Okay, so. Um, ignoring. So yeah, ignoring is denial. Now, just like the five stages, you can be in a moment of ignoring or you can be living a life of ignorance, of ignoring. And so it's important to know that in the same way the five stages work, there's sort of a content version of it and there's a context version of it. All of you are probably in a general phase of one of these, you know, sort of you average out your attitude and relationship to change over the last three months, six months, a year. And, you know, we could assign a category, but then inside that really every moment of every day, you're moving in one of these, uh, moving around in one of these, uh, stages. So for example, when Ed was describing that, uh, the toughening up instinct, there was a condition response he was describing that wanted to ignore, that wanted to deny reality in that moment. Now, he worked through it, but even if it was just a split second, for just a moment, he was in the stage of ignoring, or at least ignoring was rearing its head seductively. Right? Let's repress that. Let's not deal with that. This has nothing to do with me, whatever. All that kind of stuff. And yet, the mirrors keep coming up, and that's what's so difficult. Uh, about life is it's always giving us reflections of ourselves, always trying to wake us up out of ignoring because life does not cooperate with ignoring. And that's why people who are in the ignoring phase suffer because life doesn't support that. It wants you to wake up and see what you're not seeing. So um, by virtue of you being here, none of you, I would hazard to guess, are in an ignorance phase in any kind of um, broad sense, although you certainly may have moments of it, and that would be interesting and important to, to notice. Phase two. Excuse me one sec while I close the window. Gotta close another window. It's gonna be one of these days. How do I know there should be a weed whacker outside? Because there is. Because there is. Oh, I, yeah, I got it. So it just took for a second, there was some denial. Here's a good example. So we'll use this as, as the thing to do. So there was like this no in me for the last 10 minutes while it showed up. And then I was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, God, this sucks. And this shouldn't be happening. And he knows better than this. It's Thursday mornings. And I was like, oh, 
this is challenging me to be better at focusing, which is exactly something that's been up for me the last 24 hours, staying focused. So now I know what this lesson is about. And that helps me. Now I'm not playing victim and ignoring the mirror that the sound of the combustion engine is. And now I can stop playing victim to it and use this as an opportunity for change, to focus more, focus better. That's how you do it. Thank you. (laughs) If you can tell a part of me is still not thrilled about it, that's because that's true. (laughs) But that part's entitled as opinion. Okay, so phase two, um, dabbling. Dabbling is also a little bit of a pejorative word, right? Dabbling implies a sort of um, uh, someone who's a dilettante, so sort of playing around with stuff and not really fully in. But it's definitely a progression from ignoring, right? So the person moves from a place of, I don't need to change, no change is necessary here, nothing needs to happen, to, uh, okay, well, maybe some change is necessary. I'll play around with it, right? And dabbling is done here. Dabbling is done in the mind. Dabbling is extremely popular these days because the internet allows us to sample from different places, different paradigms, different models. I mean, my God, in the course of 90 seconds, you could get you could type in a question, which is really fun in Google, right? To type the question, see how many other people are asking the same question. What is the meaning of, you know, or uh, you know, what should I do about... And you don't even have to have the question. But Google will finish the question for you. And then you can get, you know, hundreds of millions of opinions about what to do about that. This is astonishing, right? Most of us remember when there was a time you'd have a question like this, and you could ask the people around you or go to the library. Do you remember card catalogs like made out of paper? Right? And then it, you know, it takes you five minutes to look in the card catalog and then like 10 minutes to go find the book and like, oh, it's not there. It's checked out. Right? Because with card catalogs, that, that's right. The card catalog wouldn't tell you that it was checked out. The computers would, but not the card catalogs. Oh, I'll have to find another book. Those were crazy days, right? We have incredible amounts of information that is wonderful in one way, but in another way, totally enables dabbling because it means it's very easy to skate across horizontally and sample like a buffet. Ooh, let me try some of this. Let me try some of this. Let me try some of this. You know, when you get, sometimes when you leave the buffet and you look at your plate and you've got like a, you know, a silver dollar size portion of like 11 different things. And you realize, like, this is kind of weird. And it's sometimes not that satisfying. Like, oh, I like this a lot. I want more of that. And there's other thing I don't like at all. Why do I have 11 different things here? Sort of confuses the palate. The same way uh, that the marketing evidence shows that when people have too many choices, they get really dissatisfied, don't they? You know, uh, that people actually want like three to five choices of their spaghetti sauce or salad dressing or whatever. And when you give them 37, they get overwhelmed and are left feeling like, oh, I wonder if X, Y, Z would have been better. So dabbling is incredibly, incredibly popular these days. And the philosophical and spiritual context for that is quite interesting. Um, most of you guys have probably heard me talk about it, but 
it has to do with the subjective age that we're in. You know, it's like the most models that we operate according to these days are synthesized models. You know, when you in, you know, uh, in, you know, 100 AD, you were, uh, well, let's choose another one. Let's choose uh, 600 AD after Islam was, was created. Uh, in 600 AD, you know, anywhere in the Western world, you were probably either a Christian, a Jew, or a Muslim. They didn't have someone who was like, well, I was raised Christian, but I really like a lot of the pieces of the Quran. That wasn't a thing. You guys get that? It's hard to actually conceive of what that was like. There was no cross-pollination in that way. You were what you were. You were completely committed to your path, and that was it. Because that was the tribal mentality. That was over your people. I'm a Muslim. Here are all my Muslim buddies. And you know, we all think the same thing. Really cool to create cohesion and whatnot. And in the East, of course, there was Taoism and Confucianism and Buddhism and Hinduism. And there was not this blend of different models like we have today. Now we take for granted. Well, of course, you know, it's like, you know, you listen to someone like me speak for an hour. You may hear me quote, in addition to my fifth grade teacher. Uh, Jesus, love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, Buddha, to understand and not to know is not to truly understand. And there's wonderfulness in that. It's, it's great. But the shadow side of that is it enables people to not choose a path and go all the way deep with it, which is exactly what the ego likes to do. It uses that skating as a way to never commit. It's the same dynamic as how the ego doesn't want to know the one thing. Because if you commit all the way, this is my path, well, that appears to the ego as a loss of freedom. Well, now I'm committed. It's why men typically get really scared before they get married, right? Oh my God, I'm losing options. I'm sure some women as well, but it tends to be more than men. So important to get, and dabbling is associated with what phase? Security. Because security is about keeping things the same. So uh, crisis survival security is the third phase. So security is about keeping things the same and dabbling is a way to take in information about change without actually really changing a whole lot. And so the change is happening at the mental body level. Oh, I'm thinking differently about this. I have a new perspective. And then, okay, well, that can create some change, but it creates change that's very safe. So it tends to be limited because it, that kind of orientation precludes very risky change because what happens is as soon as like, I read a study once that something like uh, 40% of, I think it was 40% of Catholics uh, don't believe the literal story of Adam and Eve because you know, the traditional, the, uh, the traditional mainstream view is that Adam and Eve is not a myth that actually happened. But if you don't actually subscribe to that actually happening, well, the whole paradigm falls apart because that's the birth of original sin. And original sin is Catholicism's explanation for why you don't feel good, for why you feel shame and unworth and and all of that. So if Adam and Eve didn't really happen, then what was the cause of original sin? And if if the cause is unclear, then so will the solution path. You see what I mean? The whole thing falls apart. 
So what people end up doing is they'll, you know, take, for example, I'm sure there's many people who do this. They take the Adam and Eve story. They see it as a metaphor for, well, you know, temptation. You got to be careful about that. Okay, cool. That's true. But it's not the genesis of suffering anymore. To make a pun, get it? Genesis. Not the origin genesis of suffering anymore. So, well, what is? So then that sort of semi-Catholic person goes to a shrink and says, you know, I feel shame all the time. Why is that? Now, the shrink, loyal to their paradigm of psychology, is not going to tell them the story of Adam and Eve because that's not what you learn in psychology school, right? They're going to say, well, your parents didn't reflect to you your own goodness. They didn't say I love you enough or whatever their personal psychological paradigm happens to be. And they're going to work with you on that. Meanwhile, you're conflicted because when you go to church on Sundays, the sermon is coming from the place of you're suffering because of your original sin. But the shrink you see on Thursday nights is telling you that you're suffering because of your incomplete childhood. Well, which is it? Is it both? Is it neither? So what a human being has to do then is they start to have to create divisions in themselves. And that's the horizontal skating thing. So they're going to take some wisdom from Catholicism, and there is plenty. And they're going to take some wisdom from psychology, and there is plenty. But what's going to happen when they reach a difficult place? When they reach a difficult place, the ego is very likely to say, hmm, this is a difficult place. I don't want to have to confess this sin to this guy. I don't want to have to tell anyone. I want to keep that a secret. Maybe I'll talk to my shrink about it. But I won't be that specific. And we'll process something related to my childhood instead of confessing this thing. Confession can be very healing. And when the psychologist is saying, well, uh, you're in a codependent uh, dead marriage, uh, and it has been for a really long time, what do you want to do about this? They go, hmm, leaving my marriage, that's scary. I'll go talk to my priest about it because they're really anti-divorce. You see? So it gives an out. And this all happens very unconsciously. And again, there are many benefits to the psycho-spiritual buffet available to us. But what I'm bringing awareness to is the shadow side. It gives the ego an out so that they don't have to be boxed in toward any one particular set of coherent wisdoms. Because if all things being equal, here's, here's a sort of um, inquiry for you. Which is better? Which is better? Is it better to go, as Michael Gerber used to say, whole hog plus postage? Yeah, whole hog plus postage into one paradigm, whether it's Scientology, Catholicism, psychology, Charles Manson's model, whatever it is. Is it better to go whole hog into that and do it all the way like a zealot? Or is it better to distribute and pull things from different things? What we're asking here is objectivistic models versus subjectivistic ones. Which is better? Well, I can only tell you what I've done uh, and speak from my experience. And what I would say is it's better. Well, let me caveat this. It depends on the person. So let me say this. What I needed to do was take on models whole hog plus postage. I have so much fun saying that expression. Entirely. Go all the way in and take the model to its logical extreme. 
go all the way because it's only by doing that that you will find its limits if it has any. Any model has limits as a model. And I'll, and there are downsides to that because it can create fundamentalism and it can narrow your focus and all that, but not if you realize that's what you're doing. You see? In other words, you don't say, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Jew, I'm a Muslim. You don't say that. But I mean, you might say that conversationally, but the way it lives in you is, I'm trying this out. I'm testing this model. I'm testing the model of Zen. That's what I'm doing these days. The last couple of years, I've been like, all right, Zen's been kind of in my periphery or foreground, depending on the year, my entire life. I'm going all in because I see that I've been circling around it all this time. I'm going all in. I'm going to see where that takes me. And then you see what happens. It's been eventful. The alternative is putting your eggs in multiple baskets and sort of diversifying your investments. And then you get a wide sampling, a survey of lots of different things, but you never go deep. And your defenses have places to hide. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.